friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my painfully awkward seamstress and co-host, seamstress, Alex Dandino. That's how I think of you. You're always stitching the wounds on my heart, amigo. It's true. It's a good point. Guys, this is our final film of Love on the Rocks theme. Uh, This February, we decided, uh, for those of you who are unlucky in love, (laughs) we're going to look at movies where uh, the romance is not going well. Uh, Before we dive in, guys, if you uh, like the show, which we hope you do since you're tuning in, if you can take a second to leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, uh, take a minute. Follow us on our socials. Uh, we got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. And just share us with your f- other movie-loving friends, guys. That'll help us uh, spread the word of the show, get more people in, find more interesting movies to talk about with you guys. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, now that that housekeeping's over, uh, back to Love on the Rocks. This is our final entry for the month of February. We are covering May. Now, this is a... An early 2000s horror film directed by Lucky McKee, who at the time was just guns blazing, uh, kind of indie horror movie guy. He seemingly has kind of fallen off lately. He made a, a very ill-fated uh, All Cheerleaders Must Die, I remember hearing about. like He's just one of those guys that kind of disappeared in my, my horror world, which is sad because I think he's such a fucking talented horror filmmaker. And this being this kind of golden age of uh indie horror movies i would like to see him come back i'll have to actually i'll call the studios don't worry i'll put in a good word um alex you have not seen may before i'm sure of that what (laughs) did you think walking away from this movie i thought it was a clever little uh thought it was a clever little indie like i mean as far as indie horror films go it certainly wasn't the worst one i've seen like i think there's a lot what's high praise (laughs) Like I think it's a really clever movie because it's it functions on a couple of levels. It has some really decent, it has some really fun metaphors. Like, and also, um, it's using Holy these actresses. Shit. By the way, uh, early two thousand three, Josh Griffey on IMDb rated this movie a nine out of ten. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's using a lot of actresses. This like, movie hit using, me really um, right where I lived at that age. I guess. Uh, Angela Bettis, who uh, I can't remember the last of the move time I saw her. She might have been in the notebook. Uh, Anna Ferris, which is really cool, and it's Anna Ferris early, so she still has black hair, and it's like she's doing. Um, mm-hmm. She's doing what is it? Uh, crap! Oh, she's like she looks like she did in Scary Movie, and then of course my personal favorite relic of the early two thousands, Jeremy Sisto. I yeah, man, love that guy. <laughs> Love you Jeremy and Sisto. May both just have the googly eyes for Sisto. <laughs> he is he's like the living embodiment of 2001. Like I don't know what it is about <laughs> him, but like between like 1998 and 2003, if you needed a hot guy in your movie but you couldn't get like Josh Hartnett, Jeremy yeah, Sisto. Right? <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Jeremy Sisto was your guy. Him and Philippi are booked, man. Who are you going with? I guess Sisto's avails. Yep. Hit See, it up. There was a there was a period where for guys like me, right, like slightly uh, bigger than average, a little stocky, kind of the wavy right, hair. Right. Sisto was kind of like the uh, obtainable level of hotness yeah. we thought we could reach. Sisto's the patron saint <laughs> of the average man, and that's really kind of what's important to remember here. <laughs> He's the Tom Hanks of the early 2000s. <laughs> like Tom Hanks and the Burbs, not this Walt Disney bullshit. Yeah, no, not, not, not Walt Disney, Tom Hanks. This is Tom Hanks and the Burbs, yeah. Yeah, Tom Hanks and the Burbs is probably what I feel the most I'm spiraling into. Like, that's my... As Goldblum devolves in the fly, I feel like I'm devolving into Tom Hanks and the Burbs. <laughs> Via Jeremy Sisto, early 2000, if that makes sense. Track that, my Whovians. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know. I, I really... I find this movie really overachieves, I think. Um, Angela Bettis's performance in this... I fucking love what she's pulling off here. Yeah. Because in a movie like this, small budget, and the way she's choosing to play May is this kind of almost on the spectrum, right? Like there's something so off with her 
Um, and we get this little intro story that she was stigmatized at a very young age about her eye. And her mom essentially made her afraid of what people would think of her, right? Put her in a glass like the doll Susie. But it feels like there's something more, right? And I feel like her performance is so fucking in-depth. Like, she so burrows into this kind of social problem. And I don't think she ever goes over the line into kind of like bad B-movie over-the-top acting with it. Right. The, the quirks are very well played and used uh, perfectly to me. Yeah, there's never a thing where, like I wrote in my notes, it was like, hmm, creepy music, Brothers Quay doll, and a girl with a lazy eye. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking home run for me. Like, this movie starts <laughs> off, like, in a way that I'm... And you were just looking at your Jeremy Sisto poster. <laughs> also, my Sisto poster over my bed. <laughs> where he's, you know, it's, it's actually an old album cover of Cisco. You just put Sisto's head on it. <laughs> uh, really that, taking us back to that era. <laughs> that, would really, that would actually make a lot of sense, given the way this movie pans out. Um, it ends up being, like, like, the opening of this movie... Sets a lot up because when I read like the synopsis, because I usually just read the synopsis for movies you asked me to watch on uh, IMDb, and like you just it says, do it with scorn, like what is he picking now? <laughs> well, like you're like I want to watch May, and I watch the trailer. I'm like interesting. I'm down, and then it says like a traumatized girl. So I'm expecting like when it starts to like see this girl like get her ass beat or something like that. I'm like that's fucking horrible. I don't want to watch any girl like you know I don't watch any I don't want to watch any children. I don't want domestic abuse, but. The first thing we the first thing I saw in this movie, the first shot that comes up is her fucking screaming into a mirror and I'm like, is this the beginning of the movie? Did I <laughs> Yeah. Okay, now see that's something me and you have talked about this a lot. I hate movies yeah. <laughs> that show me a clip of the climax and then they're like rewind yeah. all the way to preschool <laughs> to show us how we how we get from uh, pirate girl to bloody eye girl. <laughs> that is troublesome to me. Uh, I don't. I don't like that. That motif. Yeah, it's not really one of my favorites. Like, I don't really. I don't like that idea of like, oh well, it's time to you know we're gonna show you this X Y and Z. I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. Getting there is really the fun of it. No, it's not. I'm not. Yeah, like, well, especially horror movies. I feel like it's especially in that time period. It was becoming accepted that. You had, like, in a post-Scream world, we have to open with a bang, right? We right. can't we can't just start a movie. you got to start with something big. And, you know, maybe just a girl being bullied at preschool about an eye patch isn't enough. To me, it just, I always think it it shows a, a cowardice of storytelling. Like, you just don't believe enough in the character and the setting up yeah. of the character. I think that's... That, that, that's how I feel, you yeah. know, personally. Because I know a lot of people say, like, Oh, well, you know, you would go see Titanic. You know the fucking ship's going to sink. Yeah, that's a false equivalency. And you're like, that's historical fiction. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, there are movies you go in and you either know the story in advance or it's so telegraphed you kind of do anyways. But to me, I don't think that's what you shoot for. Like, they didn't open Titanic with the fucking boat crash. Right? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I don't love that. A lot of movies and TV do that now, and it fucking drives me insane. Like, one of the most shocking examples... I remember when Hannibal Season 2 came out, and it just starts with Will and Hannibal fighting to the death, if I remember right. Oh, is that... And I'm like... Yeah. You're like, oh, cool. So, like, why do I have to wait 10 hours to do that? You know what I mean? Like... That's just how my brain works. It's like, well... I think it's worse with TV. Like, with <laughs> movies, you're sitting there for a finite amount of time. Like, with TV, it's usually, like, 10 to 13 episodes where you're like... Like, if they do that in a TV show, I'm like, don't do not do that. Like, I don't want to wait to get there. Like, it's... Yeah, because to me, it's like, I want to step-by-step follow that journey, right? right. And I want to at least feel like... Um, it could zig when I think it will zag. Right. Right. I want to at least feel that way. And I guess they still can. That's just, that's a personal bugaboo for mine. I, I don't love that storytelling device, but I have to say, I, I really like, uh, the idea of Susie in the glass case. Um, her mom has that great line at the start, which is, well, if you can't make friends, 
make a friend. Oh yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? whatever the or yeah. whatever it is. Like if you can't have. Like, well, that's like the horrible thing too. Like this is the thing that well, I no, was that's like, what she says. If you want to make friends, keep your eye covered. Yeah, right. Like that's so what I'm saying. Like by a lazy eye. she basically <laughs> fucking terrorizes her daughter by saying "nice lazy eye dipshit," and then like finish it as finishes it off by saying, "Hey, I know you're never gonna make friends, so here's a creepy doll to be your friend forever." Because clearly you're a monster and no one likes you. Like <laughs> yeah, there's right. a really uncomfortable like. The traumatizing thing was, yeah, the mother being like that judgmental of her daughter. And it's fascinating, too, because they do it in this sort of like almost blue velvet, like opening of uh, uh, opening a blue velvet David Lynch way where they show like, oh, look how beautiful and pristine everyone is. And like her mother basically looks like some lady who would walk into my wife's uh, where my wife works. And then um very stepford look to her yeah and then she fucking and then she lays it down and she's like hey no one likes you here's a doll for to be your friend but don't take her out of the case you have no friends and i'm not particularly interested here's a doll i made you (laughs) here's a doll i made you that looks like it was like sculpted by the brothers quay for like their throwaway flick like it's it's yeah it's so funny because uh when i started dating my now wife amy she had this cabinet right in her bedroom, it was full of China dolls. Like really? fucking creepy ass looking, like probably like 40 to 50 of them. Wow. And I remember the first time we were trying to like hook up and just like I'd kind of glance over and through like the kind of very little bit of light we had darting into the room, it would just like illuminate these creepy fucking doll eyes. And I'm like, it's as if 50 little hell spawns are watching me try to violate their master. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because when we saw May, we were in college, and I told my wife, I'm like, May, A May. I'm like, oh my God. I was like, that's you. That's you. I still I'm still not convinced my wife doesn't have some kind of like meat locker full of the fucking dolls. Wow. <laughs> where someday she'll fucking cut off all the parts of me she doesn't like and keep what she does. The house that Amy the wife, house that Amy built. Yeah, what I don't know what my piece would be that she'd want to keep. At this point, probably none. <laughs> it's probably your glasses or your hair. Yeah. No, actually, she has the pieces of me she'd want to keep. My kids. Oh, there you go. She, t- she, she has no out. more use for my, my yeah. old diabetic ass. She already built the house. You're fine. Uh, I had a question for you about Susie, right? Because they do the motif throughout the movie of uh, the glass breaking, right? Do you think Susie is supposed to represent May or her mom? Oh, it's definitely her mom. Because it starts off and she's so conversational with it. And there's that great scene when she's like freaking the fuck out. And she turns around and she like snaps on uh, Susie a couple times. She's like, I fucking hate you. When uh, things aren't going well. It's, uh, I think it's, I think it's like a culmination. Like it's like a bunch of different things. Like I think it's her mom. I think it's her own insecurities. I think it's everything that. You think it's her trauma. Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly. Okay. It's a glass case. With a little doll inside that's supposed to represent her. So the further it goes and the worse it gets, the more it gets cracked. Like the reason she's right. the reason it's pristine at the get go is that, you know, she doesn't have any issues. She's herself. She lives in her own little world. There's nothing to bother her or scare her. And then by the middle of the movie, when things start going haywire is when it actually starts to crack. So that's why she can hear it, too. Like it's basically yeah. like, I mean, really what it ends up being is a lot like it reminded me a lot of like Carrie in a lot of ways. There's a yeah. lot of cariness going on. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, I think there's a bit of it where I thought it was like – at first I thought it was her mom because the way they talked. But then I was like, oh, this is the inner May, right? This is what the little girl that was left behind. Uh, some kind of like idealized version of what she could be. So as she's getting more in with Sisto and Ferris, yeah, more of her inner problems are revealing themselves. Right. And that's the cracking, right? Um, yeah, so I, I actually, I like the use of the doll. I thought that was a really clever way. They have some really just, uh, interesting kind of cuts between her and the doll and, and what's happening. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, re- I really like the doll. It's a good little, it's a good little visual motif. Like it's creepy enough where like kind of it's presented in this way that you're like, huh, that's a really weird thing to be like a heirloom to like hang on to. And then slowly but surely you're like, 
you know what? This makes sense. This is a weird girl. It's a weird thing. Like, she's a girl who <laughs> is, like, she's not qualified to be anything else. So she's, like, an assistant at a assistant at a, a um, vet. at a vet. The worst vet ever. <laughs> yeah, for real. The absolute worst vet. He's the, na- he's the, he's the big guy who's uh, Borat's agent. Yeah, the naked Borat wrestling partner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I guess another question I had along those lines is: Do you think May could have found a normal love? No. no do way. you think there was a shot for May before this movie started? No, not a chance. Like I don't think. <laughs> like, what's the best case scenario for May? Best case scenario for May is she fell in love with a guy who murdered her. That was probably the best case scenario, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> like, and I'm not. She just married the guy with the white Coolio hair. <laughs> that was the best case scenario. The best case scenario is that she marries Patrick Bateman and then is murdered pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of perfect body parts. They would get along great because <laughs> she would just constantly be like, "You have perfect this." Yeah, you have perfect that. And he'd be like. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, it's great. I work on it all the time. <laughs> I actually use a enriching balm on my hands. Like that's the kind of thing. So yeah, I think that and she, she would... could sew him a business card that would be so memorable. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's how May could have gotten out of this that's mess. That's what it is. As it were, she falls head over heels for a mechanic because she loves his hands. See, I I love this about. May, which is that she's she's traumatized at a young age because of one flaw that she supposedly has. Right. Um, they don't really address if her kind of personality defects are already there or if they're a cause of that. Um, but it seems like that one lazy eye sets her on a bad path. So I think it's fascinating that one of her defense mechanisms becomes to hyper appreciate one thing about a person. Yeah. I mean, that's really kind of like, I think that's the one thing that is, that's what makes her interesting. That's what makes, that's what gives us like the end for her like intrigue, so to speak. Like yeah. that's, that's the kind of crazy thing that she does. She like points out this one thing throughout the movie. And it's interesting because it takes on, it begins with this really kind of weirdly innocent thing. Like, you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, yeah, you're walking, like the first time she yeah. does anything about it. Is I like, mean, they, she is throwing red flags like yeah. an NFL coach. Like, like. <laughs> Like, like the first time she does anything about it is she walks up to Jeremy Sisto sleeping in a cafe and rests her face inside his hand, which is just probably one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, his hand, like, falls asleep in that. Like, he somehow sleeps with his hand up in the Shakespearean holding the yeah, skull position. Yeah, what the fuck? Like, that's the one thing that I was like, this was the part I was like, okay, like, this is, you know, we're just making this work. But that's fine. Whatever. You no, know. see... I can give him the one. That that part is strange, but you can, I can get away with that. Right. That's like one of those kind of artistic licenses to get the shot. What I thought was strange is that when Sisto wakes up, you have to put yourself in the headspace of, what the fuck, man? Like, what is happening? He was totally cool with it, which kind but of I bugs me. I think most guys would actually be cool with it. Do you? I think, I think on a base level, this gets back to Fatal Attraction a little bit, I think there is a... A bit of egotism in all of us, like, man, she's gonna keep her face off me. <laughs> nope. I, would I think be like, every. I think he walks back in there and orders another piece of cake, and just uh, fucking big dick walks right out of that little hipster restaurant. I was really, I was really hoping to find out what he. Uh, I was really hoping to find out what was he reading was, what he was uh, what he was uh, reading. Yeah. <laughs> well, they make him like the uber hipster of the movie. I mean, him and May are really in a dead heat for the most hipstery, but May seems mentally broken so i guess it's him uh because later we find out yeah he's like oh i just have to go see an argento movie and i'm a filmmaker and i love weird stuff i make uh nine inch nails fucking fan art (laughs) (laughs) yeah his whole i take pictures and glue nails to him (laughs) his whole interior is so weird (laughs) but yeah but that's what i'm saying when he meets her at the laundromat because it is funny because there is a cuteness to it, right? Like, one of the scenes in the movie I fucking adore is when she comes back from the laundromat and he gives her the cigarettes and he's like, practice, right? And she comes home and she's just, like, holding this pack of smokes. But she's having that, you know, oh, my God, the boy I love, talk to me. 
Like, I remember having that moment. Like, one thing we used to do in high school, which is going to sound weird now, but that was back when three-way calling had first come out and we found out about it. Oh, yeah. And so, like, your buddy and you would be on the line. He'd call the girl you liked and ask her if she liked you. Yeah. And I remember once my buddy did it, and one of the girls was like, ew, gross. <laughs> I was like, you bitch! <laughs> I was so hurt. But then the other girl was like, yeah, he's actually, he's cute. I like him. And I had Aww. that moment of, like, rolling around on my bed like, oh, look at me. And I, I was like, that's a really sweet, kind of cool moment, right? I liked that part. But then what you see is that I feel like Sisto's mechanic character is the kind of guy who is upset that he's a mechanic, right? right. He feels like that's beneath him. Right. He seems like one of those characters like, I'm the struggling artiste. I should be appreciated. I feel like May to him is something that – because he even says, like, I like weird a lot, which clearly he does not because when he gets a fucking dose of weird dumped on him, he runs for the hills. Yeah, what a weird – But, a uh, yeah, I think he looks at her like this is some other, uh, you know, beanie or rolled-up pants or weird fucking short-sleeve button-up print that will give him extra hipster cred in their neighborhood. Yeah, I uh, I also have to applaud the uh, I have to applaud the production team for finding what might be the most idyllic location I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because you live in LA. I lived in LA. I was like, oh god, I know exactly where this is happening. <laughs> I know, right? That was the <laughs> Not thing. even like, that street. You're just like, I know these pockets. <laughs> it was like a lot of intramural uh, kickball leagues going on in this pocket. <laughs> Record sales through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> Holy shit. I, yeah, I cuz they they actually run it cuz yeah, Sisto feels a little bit abusive, which is weird to me. Like, I think he picks up early on May's weakness and then he's going to pounce upon it, but she just pounces first, right? Yeah. Like when she kisses him and knocks him backwards, he's like, "What the fuck? You taught you how to kiss, bro?" <laughs> And then, because uh, that, that leads to what? The Hanky Panky yeah. short film. <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, boy, that was weird. Like, I think that was the strange thing, too. Well, no, that, that happens uh, before. Like, we watched the that's, short no, film. No, that's the, that's the final straw. Hanky Panky is the final scene. Well, Hanky- After that, he's back to, oh, that crazy bitch, I'm out. No, hanky panky happens, and then they start like getting down, and then she like bites him, like because she saw. No, it no, no, the they movie. get down, yeah, because she she sees hanky panky, which is essentially like two people on a loving picnic, and the way they make love is consuming each other. Right. It's one of those like we all went to film school. We know exactly that movie. Uh, in fact, we all probably made a version of that. Pretty sure somewhere. I made it. I actually watched. Yeah, and I she, actually uh, remember a girl who made it in my class to my first year of film school. Her name was uh, Fran. Yeah, no, cannibalism, suicides, these are all very popular Shout out, friend. Uh, symbols for, uh, you know, student films, right? I remember, yeah, my student, my first screenwriting class, if you can call it that, because the teacher knew nothing about screenwriting, but <laughs> I think over half the class ended in, like, a suicide of a young person. Good Lord. I was like, very on brand for us, guys. Way to, way to fucking, you know, kneel in. <laughs> but, uh, but... She sees this and she sees it as it's very sweet. Yeah. Right. right. And, and that says a lot about May, man. I like that moment. And then because of that, she thinks that he wants the freak factor up. And she bites him and he starts bleeding. He sees the doll and he's like, what the fuck? And then that's it. That's when he's like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> no. You know what? As if she as if she wasn't, she might as well be an actual human walking flag. <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> yes. Clearly, but that's the one that's too far. If you weren't sure when you had to teach a girl how to smoke, <laughs> clearly you should probably know that this girl is a No, weird. see, that's a plus. She's a non-smoker. She takes care of herself. She has clean clothes. I don't know. Her for, place is clean. For me, when I walked into the... When she I, makes you macaroni and you drink Gatorade out of wine glasses. These are good things. <laughs> it's more of the hobo clothes and the getting turned on by cannibalism. Yeah. Your super sweet cannibalism movie is noted and uh, you know, summarily dismissed because she can up that crazy in a second. Yeah, it's a but that's like kind of the that, it's interesting because like we were what I was watching the movie and I wrote down on my notes. I'm like, when does this actually take off? Like, when is this happening? 
because I was like, this is starting very slowly for me. But then it happens so fast after she fucking bites that guy's lip. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Well, what? Cause see, I actually, I like the buildup. Oh, I'm fine with it. I mean, it's just... I think it's cool, too, because a lot of slow. horror movies don't take that time. I agree. And it's also... They set up this really cool effect of everyone in May's life is using her as a way to highlight something about themselves, right? Right. So, Sisto, I think she's, like, a cool hipster addition to, like, elevate him above mechanic. Right. I think her mom, obviously, is just embarrassed of her, so tries to hide her behind the patch and, right. you know, shield her from affecting her reputation. Anna Ferris's is a little different. Hers just feels sexual and like she wants a yeah. game to play at work. Anna Ferris. They start just... off with like scalpel foreplay. Yeah. Where like she's like, do me. And she stabs, she's like, you crazy bitch. Oh, yeah. By the way. But then she like seems a little like excited by, by it. By the way, another huge red flag uh, when girls are stabbing themselves to, uh, you know, and they're like, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> That's a bad thing. That's bad. <laughs> We don't. We yeah. It's not. It's not the most ideal to be like. Oh, I'm going to have to shed blood to make this relationship yeah. work. Like uh, that scene where Anna <laughs> Ferris walks in and May is just like stabbing her thumb repeatedly with a scalpel. She goes, "Doesn't that hurt?" She goes, "No, it feels kind of good." I'm like, "Red flag, yeah. red flag, red flag." Yeah. <laughs> well, that's but that's Anna Ferris's relationship with her is kind of the one that I can't peg. Why? It's more of like she just wants to physically use May. I think she's a, like a play thing to her. I think it's a physical but thing. But I don't I don't know that that, that storyline is is integral to the movie as the others. No. It's just it's just the added it's an added bonus. Like I mean not bonus, but I'd say like it's just an added beat to give her sort of like it's sort of like Sisto, your mom and this and this woman who you think maybe you could be your friend. And instead, it all just sort of implodes yeah. at once. Well, I, I like the storyline, and I like the idea that May is just desperately seeking some kind of connection, right? Because she even tells Anna Ferris, like, you're not just playing around with me, right? right. Which she clearly is. And, and there's this moment of, you know, just op- bearing herself open, right? If she's the Susie doll, opening the case and letting someone take her out. And... uh I thought that was sweet. I mean, it, it does feel like it's more of a, we just need more bodies for our monster. Yeah. But uh, it was, that moment I think is actually a very tender moment. I, I dug that. And then when you see that Anna Ferris has kind of betrayed that, it it hurts, man. It It is an open wound at that point. So after she bites Sisto's lip, this movie starts get going, get, getting going in a real hurry. And this... The culmination, yeah. the culmination is like when she, that, I love that scene when she's in the bathroom. See, I, I'd actually take, I'd take a moment to say that I don't think it's the Sisto lip. She makes a decision that I think actually is the most psychotic and scary. I want your opinion on why, why, oh, why, what is May's motivation to go work with those blind kids? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm assuming it's, oh, I had a lazy eye. So, you know, blind kids like that's like. That's the free association thinking I did when I was watching. I'm like, is this? Is it this because is? they're not visually capable that they could see her for what she truly is? I mean, I think that's a very scholarly dive. Uh, I just, <laughs> I honestly, that's way deeper than I thought it was. Because again, like, there's a lot of this I movie. Thought, I thought this was going in a very bad direction. It reminds me of what were we just talking about? Tiptoes this month. Yeah. Where you're like, is McConaughey gonna Gronkowski spike that baby? <laughs> I had the exact same vibe in this moment where I'm like, I don't think I was like, first off, this school definitely needs some background checks uh, oh, for yeah. their volunteers. They're uh, volunteers and not just that, even their teachers. Like, there's just some <laughs> it's a bizarre thing. Like <laughs> she starts volunteering at the school and I'm like, um, okay. I, I don't know why we're doing this. But then later on, like Essentially, it's just sort of justified by what happens because, like, I love that scene where she's in the bathroom talking yeah. to Sisto on the phone, and she keeps hearing the glass break on the case. Yeah, I love that scene, man. Oh my god! That's a really, and that actually is after she snuck up on his porch. Yeah, and he does the weirdest smoking ever, where he just dangles his cigarette out of an almost closed door, and he's like, 
Maybe it's just some crazy bitch I escaped. So she's devastated oh, in this yeah. scene. She's crushed. But she's trying to give it another whirl. Oh, my God. Actually, we skipped something huge. Because what also has happened, she's already killed Fluffy at this point, right? No, not yet. See, I thought she had by that. This kind of all happens at once, right? So she's having a manic breakdown trying to get Sisto. Oh, wait, no, it's after it's right after that because she goes home and does that. So she's at the blind school and they go full fucking Lord of the Flies choir boy on her ass. Yeah, because she says she brought in a show and tell they all touch the doll box and the glass doesn't look as damaged as it was before, which I thought was cool. But she and they're all touching the box and they're just like, we have to touch this doll to the point of violence. Yeah, they're like mutiny. They're like pulling her away from the doll box and shit. It's actually, yeah, it's very yes. Lord of the Fliesy. Yeah, and it goes full scrum, right? Where the box breaks. Now there's shattered glass everywhere. And these blind kids and May are rolling around just getting cut to ribbons. Also, how bleeding on each other everywhere. And yeah. Susie gets torn asunder. What a visual What a visual feast, though. Like, all these blind kids are down on the ground, like, feeling glass. Ah! Everyone's got blood all over them. There's blood <laughs> over the floors. But then here's the thing. Yeah. Like, How disappointed were you when they started touching it? And they're like, I think this is the worst toy ever. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have gone full uh, Lord of the Flies my problem, for this toy. My biggest problem was that these teachers at this school have not prepared these children for life because they didn't. They <laughs> When these blind kids heard glass break, they're like, free, cl- free toys. And they like put their hands down into the glass. I'm like, what is wrong with the? And then also these teachers have might be blind as well because one of them trips over a fucking chair trying to rush to like stop the kids from diving into the ground i'm like do these kids just dive for glass on a regular basis what's going on here yeah but (laughs) yeah no this is a definite teachable moment where the teacher sits them down after may leaves and she's like kids there's gonna be a lot of dolls in life that you don't get a touch (laughs) calm yourselves maybe don't let this be a learning experience so then, but May- yeah, so May comes back, her dolls ripped apart. The ashtray that the girl made her is now sickening to her. I think the weird thing, that's why I want to understand more what the blind kids represent. Because uh, it feels like that moment of them being the ones that rip Susie up matter, should matter more to me. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, so then the ashtray becomes a bludgeoning weapon to kill Fluffy with. Oh, yeah. Okay. Who then Fluffy becomes the new Susie. She just carries around this dead body and Lysol's it. Yeah, which is really weird. But all right, but follow me on this one though. <laughs> the kids Okay. The kids break the glass. They do this whole thing. So the blind yeah. kids break the glass. She goes home, bludgeons Fluffy, but, but she tried to do it, but maybe by accident. Like, let's just assume she did it on purpose. Oh, it was a sniper headshot. She fucking wung that ashtray right. at him. Because he wouldn't come and cuddle her. She's like, I need love. So basically, I mean, really no what this is, is like, bastards. I mean, Susie being torn apart is essentially like it's the it's the it's the it's the loss of innocence. So not only that, then the grossest thing I've ever like, probably the thing that like makes way more nauseous in the ending, like the thing that made me like sick to my stomach watching was like she starts itching, uh, itching her eyes. Because I think she leaves oh, her contacts yeah. well, into it. It seems like long. she has like chemical in it, right? I Did thought it's because she left her contacts in her eyes, or was she just scratching them? I think she was just scratching them. I thought it was because she left her contacts in too long. Yeah. Ooh, boy. It, yeah, that's tough. That's a tough scene. It was so disgusting. And then she wakes up like they aren't showing her eyes yet. And I'm like, oh, God, dude, is this chick's eyes just going to be torn out because she scratched them so bad? And then she goes to the, and then you see him, and they're just like super red and kind of gross. And I'm like, ugh. But ultimately, yeah. like, but I think what it is is like the well, because there's that scene where it actually all the way flashes to like red. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I was like, man, this. And I think that's the out. final straw scene in a weird way. Yeah, I agree. Right? I, I think the blind. It's kids, almost that. What, what's that old like? You know, the scales have been lifted from my eyes, and now she sees clearly. Right. I think what happened was yeah. is she. I'm with you. I think the blind kids breaking Susie sort of lifts the veil of the world. Like, cause for, for now, like until this point and up until like Sisto, like saying she's a freak, like she's sort of seen everything through, through very weirdly rose colored glasses. So I think the blind kids unblind made who what life really is. And she slowly devolves from there. 
And I think her scratching yeah, essentially well, her eyes out is her scratching her scratch. That's the last bit of innocence she has left. Like the last bit of like, oh, yes. no one's going to worry about me. Like now she's like, I'm, I'm out. It's, it's, just, it's a very hard kind of muddied way to explain it. But I don't know. Like it's the only way I no, can see. I think why you're right, though. Because, you know, this is a cool thing they do in the movie is at this point we start to see May decreep a little bit weirdly enough like she she almost starts having this kind of confidence and she's a little more forward um her performance changes right she's not just this kind of ball of quirks and awkwardness right um it's it's better exposed in the scene when she goes to anna ferris's apartment but we can't skip over uh the weirdest hair guy ever (laughs) yes I think his character name is Blank in the movie, which is so funny. I think it is, too. Uh, so he's he's macking on May at a bus stop, and she's very despondent now. They go to her house, and he just has some great life. Besides having the weirdest hair and then, like, this tattoo of Frankenstein's monster, <laughs> very on brand. Very and on she, brand. And uh, he pretty much just starts in with, like, the best lines. like, God, I'm so hot. Can I take my shirt off? Even though he's wearing a fishnet tank top. <laughs> and then he, the line he said that I actually, I almost threw up. I was laughing so hard. Do you have any ice cubes I could rub on my nipples? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. He's just set up as this douchiest, most terrible guy ever. He goes to the icebox to get the fucking nip cubes. And he sees the cat rolled up. And I what I love about this moment is that this guy, of all people, being the one to judge May as less than is what sets her off. And to be honest, I don't blame her. <laughs> you cannot be looked no. down upon by a guy like this without having a very serious reaction. You can't look, be looked down upon by a guy who clearly used, like, I don't know, I'd say four <laughs> bottles of hair gel. What about you? Like fuck. Oh, I mean, I didn't even know if that was real hair. Oh, that was hair. It was. Like, I mean, it's punk hair, so it's like a lot of hair gel. It's a disturbing yeah, amount. They like, kind of look dread-like, but they're standing up. Yeah, it was a. It was like a. Andy's a cultural appropriator trying the Coolio look. Like this guy's the worst of the worst. <laughs> He's just really not a good guy. And so this is where May takes her first step, and she fucking stabs him with the scissors. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and he dies, and this is where she gets the idea. Because she did like his tattoos. Uh, this is where she's she will make someone to love her, is all the people she tried to find a relationship with have scorned her. She has to replace Susie. The one person yeah. who didn't scorn her. Until the end, of course. Yeah, it's... Because this is where the next thing we see is it. Eight, uh, Ferris's apartment and this is where she's like you're not mad at me for being like uh, fucking this other girl right she's like no no it's cool but this is where May becomes very fucking confident and assertive Yeah, and she ends up killing Anna Ferris it's like don't just let someone hold a knife to your throat Anna Ferris yeah, you kind on. of deserve what it you it was thinking? like a foreplay death because she was like oh, oh yeah. like she was getting yeah, turned she's on like or super into it and I'm like what are you doing she has well, two scalpels the, to your like, throat. Yeah, yeah, I think it's part of the hills and valleys of this thing, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but she gets it. But the scene I love is when she goes into the kitchen in the new leggy blonde, right? Because yeah, she yeah. likes Anna Ferris's neck, but she likes this girl's gams. Yeah. <laughs> and she calls him. And this girl fucking hates me. She's like, you're so fucking weird. And she's like, where's Polly? Like, doesn't Polly want to see whatever? And she goes, Polly doesn't see anything. Now turn around for me, doll. Right? Because it's doll because yeah. that's what they kept calling May. But then you're also like, oh, she's about to be a real doll. Right, right. And uh, she does the double temple stab. But what I took from that moment more than anything is how the confidence of May, uh, she is transformed. Like she is actually oh, yeah. a different person. She's now. a different version of herself. Like, and she's I, I a like that level of the performance. I do too. She's a very... Like, the actress is very convincing because she spends so much of the movie, like, being so meek. Like, I love that turn at the end. And also, like, I this is also a motif of, like, 
early 2000s movies like this. Like, anytime that kind of thing happens, it's sort of the Cinderella effect where all of a sudden, like, the meek girl is like, oh, she's confident and really, like, it's like she's all that. Like, Rachel Lee Cook takes her glasses off and she's the hottest girl that ever existed. Like, that's the kind of thing I really like. And this is sort of what happens is, like, she decides she's going to start just offing these fools and she immediately becomes... Like she's wearing heels and cute dresses and shit like that. There's a really, it's a really fun bit that came out of like 2000s movies, particularly these kinds. Cause like, <laughs> it's like they don't make them wear makeup and then they make them wear makeup. I love it. It's yeah, really I mean, it, it goes all the way back to the first telling of Cinderella, right? Oh yeah, like, absolutely. Oh, the, the tower maid is actually a real bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's something else, man. I think Sisto's death kind of pales in comparison. Yeah. Because it's this very weird moment of, like, antagonism from his new date. And he's kind of, like, a dick to her. As if we're supposed to be like, it's cool that he gets murdered. Uh, which was Yeah, a weird, I don't get it. Like A weird moment. But uh, I just love that you have to touch my face. She's almost trying to give him one more chance. Yeah. Like, I think this. what I do like about the scene is it's not... May's not all the way gone in Terminator mode now. It does feel like if Sisto would jump back in, that May might try to go back. Right. You know, it, it, it is this one last thing. And then, of course, it ends in bloodshed. Of course. Because that's and, how this uh, has Sisto to just doesn't defend himself at all. <laughs> just goes down <laughs> like a punk. Cause, right? Because May looks like she weighs all of 82 pounds. Cause and it's just is... taking fools out left and right. So then this leads us to the ending, which I fucking cherish this ending, right? This is one of my favorite endings in a movie. Um, so she has built her monster, and she puts Susie's eyes on the monster. Or this doll, right? This creation. It's, right, it's right. fucking really cool design. It's it's very it's really good like creature stuff. Like I like the oh, I like the, the special great, effects work dude. is cool. Yeah, and I, I love this moment, right? But what happens is she starts melting down, right? And she's kind of hitting her doll, like, see me! Right. See me! Right, right. So uh, we're led to believe that she's just a fully gone psycho who's going to create this doll, and that's it. But there's this moment of desperation and panic that all of this was for naught, right? Which I think goes back to the, there's something extra special in her mind about Susie. And while this has Susie's eyes, it's not encapsulating the spirit of what Susie was. And she starts hitting the doll, right? Like, she's just so fucking scared that it can't see her. Um, And this leads her to take scissors, I think it is, and fucking gouge out her lazy eye. In horrific self-destruction, right? And again, she's taking... uh, This is a question. I don't know. Does she take the lazy eye or not? Because... The doll is all the things she likes about others. Oh, it's the lazy Would she eye. give the doll her flaw or her good eye? Well, I was trying to figure that. I think I think it's her lazy eye because her lazy eye is what makes her different. Like, she points that's, out these. That's the flaw that we're led to believe has led to this long and strange journey of this murder doll. Right. But she points out these things that she thinks are beautiful on everyone. So I think the idea is that she being now beautiful because, like, she got the corrective lenses and all that stuff. Like, I think yeah. she pokes out the lazy eye because that's what makes her special, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where I fall because part of me, the lazy eye feels like that's every – that's the quicksand her entire character is built on, right? Right. In her own mind, not not even in the movie necessarily, but in her mind. But – so she she gouges out one of her eyes. I guess I could go back and watch which side it was to learn if it was the lazy eye or not. I think it's the lazy eye based on based on what I remember from like because it's the reverse images in the mirror. Yeah, and that's a that's a cool decision to give your bad trait to the doll of perfection. In the scene that I I fucking love, right? So she crawls over her eyes like fucking meat's hanging out. Yep. She puts her eye on the doll, and she just lays by it. And the giant fucking arm of the doll Ugh. reaches up and gently caresses May's face. And we end on this absurd, grotesque, but shockingly sweet moment. It is. Like I really I really felt 
happy for May and moved in that moment. It's kind of touching. Like I felt the it's same so way. Touching. I'm like, wow. It's it's the first time in the movie <laughs> where it feels like May is giving given a genuine emotional response to uh, her sadness and need. Yeah. It and it's done in this. I mean, the final shot. Is just something I could just stare at for hours. It's it's just kind of a lovely, it's everything I like in movies, right? It's it's a lovely, normal human, relatable moment, just through this like, oh yeah, <laughs> broken fucking looking glass moment. I mean, it's horrifically macabre, but it is this <laughs> yeah. very human moment. Like it's everybody wants just to be, everyone just wants just wants to be you know, loved or appreciated, and like that's what I think May is in search of the entire movie and she has to make she has to make that work for herself to the point. Yeah. To not to put too fine a point on it, but like she has to make this I think it's like the movie to me a lot of the time comes back to this like idea of like self love and like, you know, appreciating what you are and who you are and what makes you different. So like yeah. May's idealized form of everybody is this person. And for that to love her, so to speak, in her final moments uh, is very beautiful when you really like look at it. Yeah, I actually thought of another element of the the murder doll design that I actually thought was really a cool choice was that she didn't give hit a head. Yeah, she stuffed the ski mask in and then put Susie's eyes as if if it was overly personified. I don't think she can have that belief that the person would be kind enough to her, right? Because right. it, it would make oh, sense that point, it would yeah. have Sisto's head or someone, you know, her right. mother's, like whoever's, right? That's what you would think. But the adding the, the blank doll face lets her pretend to the point where you have to imagine she's She's the one caressing herself in her imagination in her safe place. Right, right. Because you'd have to think that when after we cut the movie, that things go really bad for May. Yeah. Like, it's not a happy ending, but it is this moment. It's this, it's this very well-earned moment of emotional shelter mm -hmm. that is shockingly endearing. Considering the circumstances. Oh, I assume when the movie cuts, she just bleeds out and dies. Like, she... Yeah, or she's definitely going to jail. Oh, for sure. And could get the death penalty. Like, she's... It's bad. She lives <laughs> her last, like... She lives her last moments happy that she was loved. It's... You know, that's interesting, because I actually didn't think of her bleeding out, but that... Just kind of, like, slipping into the darkness happy for a change yeah. that's a cool ending i like that i'd say that's probably. again that's very student film it, ending with the suicide film school 101 <laughs> lucky mckee you knew what you were doing man I, he lucky mckee made this movie i fucking love called the woods and his masters of horror episode was really good i really like lucky mckee man and i think he's the kind of guy right now in this climate of horror movie because what i like about may what i truly truly like about may is i like that there's no rush to get to that murder stuff, right? Right. Like, there is this old kind of saying when you're writing horror movies that you need a body every six to eight pages, right? Right. You got to keep the scares coming, this and that. Like, he made a movie that feels like the movies we like now from indie horror. He made this yeah. quiet character piece. And it just ends on this very kind of subtle, beautiful image. And I, I think Lucky McKee's the kind of voice that we could... We could see something really fantastic from him still to come. Well, he's got four movies coming out. Com yeah, coming I think his soon. last one I saw, he he did a movie in 2017. There was this movie, The Woman, which was not my favorite. But, I mean, you know, I think he's a very good horror movie director. I think this piece is really good. I think it's very underrated. I think it is. Uh, I had never seen it before, and I have to say, like, I would. it's one of those things I would recommend to people. I mean, if you like little off kilter sort of horror movies like this is right up your alley man not only that like something that isn't just gonna be like a body count it's a really fascinating it is kind of a fascinating look and at like how we perceive other people and how other people perceive us and how other people yeah. perceive us perceiving them it's it's very interesting well 
Yeah, I mean, May becomes this fucking, just this pond of emotional wreckage, right? Like, she, she is this receptacle for when you allow yourself to be who you are. And that's the thing. May feels like outwardly she's she's not hiding that she's unusual and different. Right. When she's older, she does get the corrective lens and this and that. But it feels like May's vulnerability and openness to trying to be loved leads her to be. It shows how much damage people can do to us if we want to love them. Yes. And, and, and that's a, that's a very beautiful and, and very universal place that we can all get to. Right. So as the the stuff that is uh, kind of bigger and more bombastic starts to come at us. You, you've already spent time in this very belief. We've all been in that place where you want so badly for someone to see you for who you are and love you, right? See me. Right. And in and, and the fear of what can happen if, as you walk across that room to introduce yourself and they just shit on you or God forbid you've been dating a while and they just like fucking rip your guts out. Like, it's very relatable stuff, man, and I I think it's well played. It's um, you know, it is it is small budget and this and that. Like, it's not like a flawless film, but I I think there's a lot to love in this movie. Yeah, I think everyone will find something if you like if you're a fan of horror or suspense or anything like that. Everyone will find something that they like and can manage to enjoy in a movie like this. Yeah. This is one this of those movies very much like the doll, right? Very <laughs> it much has pieces that are really lovable and great. That is just kind of brought together in this very weird presentation <laughs> i would recommend it i really yeah. enjoyed it guys i hope you loved may as much as we did uh not cut up your less than stellar friends and make a dead body doll out of them love but you know nice like sharing a smoke with a friend <laughs> love that's that's where we want you guys at um that is it for love on the rocks month uh we're still working out we have a couple good themes we're rolling through for next month We'll let you guys know on social media uh, when we find out. So follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. Uh, you can email us at filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. If you have ideas and suggestions, we'd love to hear from you guys. Please. As always, uh, we are doing Jordan Peele's Us next month. Woo! Uh, so fucking excited. That guy is on fire. Um, I can't wait to see what he brings out for us. So that will be among the movies we do uh, with our new theme. That's it, guys. It's been a good February. If your love was on the rocks this month, at least you haven't killed anyone or had your yeah. rabbits boiled. Way to go. Or you have someone walking around on their knees trying to <laughs> start a love triangle with you, hopefully. I, I don't know. Who knows? It's been a, it's been a, it's been a rocky it's month of love It's definitely been a strange, rocky month of love. <laughs> All right, guys, for the Film Alchemist podcast, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Sandino. See us! See us! Yeah, I like the Pacino. See ya, Attica. <laughs> oh, uh, see me. Now, Pacino leg with that murder doll. Oscar stuff. <laughs>